Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 4. Excuse me. And let's just read from verse 32. And the multitude of them that believe were of one heart, one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. They had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Was there any among them that lacked? For as many as were possessed of land, houses sold them and brought the prices of the things sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, now we Father, we do indeed thank you today. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. We thank you for the opportunity once again to come around your word and to study your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would speak to each of our hearts through your word, that you would um, teach us and instruct us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, empower me through the Holy Spirit this morning and that everything I say would be uh, your words, your thoughts, that it be from you, Lord, that... Um, You'd hide me on the cross this morning, and that, Lord, you and you alone be seen. Uh, Lord, I pray that you bless now, that you would receive all the honor and all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 4 ends with a <clears throat> some life within the early church. You know, the passage is very similar to what we read at the end of Acts chapter 2. Just turn back quickly to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2 and 42, it says... And they continued studying the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods out of them to all men as men had need. And they continued daily uh, with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat meat, thus eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so at the end of the there, we're given a description of life within the early church. And then at the end of chapter 4, we're given another description. And both passages are very similar in their description of what's taking place within the early church. We see described for us the, <clears throat> sorry, the great generosity of the people. You know, their love and care of one another, their unity. You know, with, in great love, the, the brethren would take care of one another. They meet one another's needs. In verse 32 here in Acts chapter 4, it describes how the people were more concerned with the needs of others than they were with having possessions. Verse 32, it says, And the uh, multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. They had all things common. The point is they, they counted more value in having you know, met each other's needs than they did upon having possessions. They, they loved one another. There was great unity within this body of believers. This attitude led to people within the church selling their lands, their houses, selling their possessions, and bringing the money and laying it at the apostles' feet. We read that in verse 34 and 35 there. You see, people were willing to sell what they had and give it to the church to meet the needs of the poor, those brethren in the church who had little. The elections show to us the great unity that was amongst this body of believers. And I remember that Satan has just tried 
to disrupt the ministry of the church. Okay, just before this, he's threatened Peter and John through the scribes and the Sadducees and the priests. They've threatened Peter and John to stop preaching and teaching. But you know, John and Peter and the church were not shaken by this. As we saw last time, they prayed. That was their response. They prayed. And then we're given this description of how they continue on as a church. Nothing changes. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? From chapter 2 to the end of chapter 4, even with persecution, nothing changes. They continue in the same way. They're still taking care of one another. There's still great unity, great love within this church. Now, we must understand that the actions of the early church here are not recorded because you and I are to imitate them. Okay? It's not recorded for you because we are supposed to go and sell our possessions and give it all to the church and have all things in common. You know, that somehow we're supposed to have some sort of Christian communism. Okay? That's not the point of these passages. Okay? These passages are not in the Word of God because we are supposed to imitate them and do it ourselves. Now, rather, we are to seek to emulate the Spirit, the Spirit of giving, the Spirit of unity, the Spirit of love that the church had. The spirit that they had is the important part here. The spirit behind the giving, the reason for their service, that's the important part of the message. And that's the bit we need to see. That's the bit we need to focus on. You know, this is clearly brought out to us by the example which follow. You see, we have given to us two examples, the positive example of Barnabas, and then we have the negative example of Ananias and Sapphira. And this morning, I want us to consider these two examples and see that the attitude with which we serve is what matters to God. The attitude by which we serve is what matters to God. So let's look firstly at the generosity of Barnabas. The generosity of Barnabas. Look in verse 36. It says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which has been interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the tree of Cyprus, heavy land, sold it. And brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You now, having told us of the early church's giving spirits, the writer of Acts, which of course we've seen, is Luke. Luke now gives us an example of someone who epitomizes for us this, this spirit, this generosity. And Luke tells us here of a man named Barnabas. Okay, his name is Joseph, surnamed Barnabas. You know, this man is singled out here for special mention. But he's not the only one. He's not the only one who is doing this. He's not the only one who has shown this spirit of generosity. That's clear from verse 34, where it says, Neither was any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the price of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So it's clear from these verses that he's not the only one. And we understand that, okay? He's, he's just one of many within the church who is one of many who is sacrificing of themselves to meet the needs of others. And so that leads to the question, why is Barnabas mentioned here? What, why does Luke single out this one? Why does he single out Barnabas for special mention? Well, there are probably a, a number of factors here as to why Barnabas is chosen to be mentioned. Now, well, firstly, obviously, he is an outstanding example of what Luke is talking about. I mean, that much is verse 37, where it says, Having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. He sells this piece of land, and he gives all to the church. He gives the whole lot. He lays it at the apostles' feet. And so 
He's an outstanding example of what Luke just been describing to us. But he's also probably mentioned here because of his prominence. The prominence that he plays within the early church. I mean, when we read through the book of Acts, we see Barnabas time and time again. Barnabas is mentioned at least 25 times in the book of Acts. And also mentioned five other times in the epistles. The point is, Barnabas was a prominent figure in the early church. People knew of Barnabas. And that's the key thing, isn't it? When, when Luke's writing the Acts, the people who then read it, they know of Barnabas. They can associate this. They can make a connection, can't they? Barnabas was well known within the church. And so highlighting his giving spirit makes sense, doesn't it? You're highlighting a prominent figure within the church as having a giving spirit. But it also seems that his notable act here is because it's his act that seems to lead to Ananias and Sapphira being filled with envy and attempting to, you know, um, impress the church. Giving. It seems like their giving is a result that Barnabas do. Okay, they've seen that Barnabas has done. Barnabas got praise. Barnabas got perceived glory, and that the same. And so it sort of leads towards what Ananias and Sapphira do. You know, the point is that he is someone who epitomizes this spirit. Now, as I said, there's a number of reasons why he's singled out, why he's mentioned. But ultimately, the part here is that he epitomizes this spirit, generosity, and the right spirit with which things were given. So what exactly does Luke tell us about this man, Barnabas? Well, first of all, we're told that this man's original name was Joseph. Verse 36, it says, And Joseph... Who, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which has been interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. And so his original name here is Joseph, or Joseph, some believe it is. It's the same idea. Um, and he's given this nickname or surname Barnabas by the apostles. Okay, they're the ones who give him this name. It says in 36, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. They give him this name. They call him Barnabas. And this name Barnabas means the son of consolation, as verse 36 tells us. The son of consolation, or in other words, the son of encouragement, the son of exhortation. That's what this name means. And so apparently they gave him this name because it was um, his character. This is what Barnabas was like. You know, they called him Barnabas because, hey, he is the son of consolation. The son of encouragement. This man just encourages everyone everywhere he goes. And so he got given this nickname or surname, if you like, because this was his character. So it really was a fitting name that he led up to right throughout the book. Of Turn over to Acts chapter 9 with me. <clears throat> Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. It says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he said to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now here we have Paul, you know, in the... In the other apostles and disciples are apprehensive about accepting Paul. Okay, because you know, Paul, of course, is the one who's going around persecuting them, persecuting the church. 
So they're very apprehensive about accepting him, receiving him into their midst. And who's the very first one who goes and puts his arm around Paul and brings him in? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. This is what Barnabas was like. He went and found Paul, put his arm around him, and he brought him in. And he gave testimony to Paul and what Paul had done and how the Lord had met Paul in the way. He's the first one to accept him and bring him to the rest. We see it again in Acts chapter 15. Turn over there, Acts 15. Acts 15 verse 36. It says, And some day they said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take with them, who departed from them, uh, sorry, parted from them from Pentecost, and went with them, not with them, sorry, to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed the one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed under Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being reckoned by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now here we see him once again encouraging another brother in the Lord. This time it's Mark. Paul is apprehensive about taking Mark with them because Mark has forsaken them once before. Mark gave up and went back. And Paul's like, nah, he had his chance, he failed, I'm not giving him another chance. Barnabas, however, what does Barnabas do? Puts his arm around him, encourages him, and he gives him a second chance. He encourages him after his failure. He lifts him up, he says, let's have another go at it. And so this man definitely lived up to this name, didn't he? This name, son of encouragement, definitely fits this man. We are told that this man was a Levite from the country of Cyprus. Back to verse 36 in Acts chapter 4. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Okay, so he's a Levite in his country of Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is the largest island in the Mediterranean, and it's close to the Jewish coast. Okay, and it would, um, and sorry, so um, Barnabas comes from this place, he comes from this island. And, and Cyprus was known for being a very fertile piece of land. Okay, it was known for its exports. Okay, lots of things grew there. It was well fertilized. They made a lot of money from the land on this island. And this is where he owns land. This is where he comes from. He comes from Cyprus. And so it would appear that Barnabas, who owned land on this island, sells this land, and it's this land, the money from this land that he brings to the, the apostles in verse 37 having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet and so he takes a very fertile good piece of land and he sells it and he brings it all and lays it at the apostles feet gives it to the church gives it to the lord you know it may even be that barnabas is one of those who traveled to jerusalem at pentecost you know he may have been one of the ones who come across to worship the lord at pentecost and heard the message of the gospel, saved, and never returned home. And, you know, he sells his land, and he gives all to serve the Lord. It may well be that that's what's taken place here with Barnabas. You know, there's a lot we don't know about Barnabas. We can only speculate. But one's clear that he was a man who was filled with the Spirit. He was a man who was uh, filled with encouragement, others, and he gave his all to the Lord here. He brought everything he had laid it at the apostles' feet in service to the Lord. You know, the key thing here with Barnabas 
is the attitude by which he does all this. It's his attitude that matters. You see, Barnabas didn't sell his land and give the money to the church because he was seeking the men. Barnabas didn't do this because he wanted to get noticed. Barnabas did all this. He sold this land. He gave the money to the Lord. Why? Because he believed that's what God wanted him to do. Because the Lord laid it on his heart and he felt this was what God wanted him to do. And so he sold it and gave it to the Lord. He gave his all in service to God. His gift here was not given grudgingly or of necessity. His gift was given from a cheerful heart. This is exactly what 2 Corinthians 9 tells us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. <clears throat> Corinthians 9 verse 7, it says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. That's certainly the impression we get here with Barnabas, isn't it? Barnabas is not giving grudge here. He's not giving on necessity. He's giving with a cheerful heart. He's giving because God's laid in his heart and he's giving willingly, with the right act, with the right spirits. And that's why Barnabas is recorded here in such a good light. Because of the attitude with which he gave all to the Lord. And you know, Barnabas is an example for all of us, isn't he? He's an example of the heart attitude with which you and I ought to serve. The heart attitude by which you and I ought to give of ourselves, of our time, of our money to the Lord. We are to give not for the praise of men, but for the glory of God. To give in and give thanksgiving to him. That's why we do these things. We're in service to him. Not seeking to get noticed, seeking to get praise. We're doing it for God's glory. Just turn over to Colossians chapter 3 quickly. Colossians 3. <clears throat> Colossians 3, verse 23. It says, And whatsoever ye do, heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, Knowing of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Indeed, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. That's how we're to serve, isn't it? We're to serve as unto the Lord. Everything we do, whether it's giving of our time, giving of ourselves, giving of our money, whatever it might be, we are to do it in service to the Lord. We're to do it with the right attitude to Him. And you know, Barnabas ought to make us ask this question, why do we serve? Why do we serve? Why do we do the things we do within the church? Why do we do the ministries we do? Why do we serve? Is it for the praise of men? Or is it for the glory of God? Everything we do ought to be driven by this one purpose, pleasing Him, giving glory to Him. And so we've seen the good example, the ferocity of Barnabas. Now we see, secondly, the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. This is from chapter 5, from verse 1. Let's just read the passage. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Once thou conceived this thing in thine heart, thou lightest it unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them who heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. 
and it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered her under her, Tell me whether you sold the lamb for so much. She said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed to give tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at, the, at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and as many as heard these things. Now in contrast to Barnabas, who sold his piece of land and gave all to the work of the Lord with the right heart attitude. In contrast to that, we now have Ananias and Sapphira. This husband and wife who were guilty of hypocrisy. You know, they put on a great show, great front, you know, a lovely front in front of others to seal the sin in their hearts, the sin in their lives. But ultimately, that sin cost them their lives. God judged them for their sin. You see, their heart attitude was not right with God. Their heart attitude was the complete opposite of Barnabas's. Their reason for service was wrong. You know, it may be that God struck down these two. You know, that God killed them because of a business transition and their giving to the church because they lied about these things. Seems like drastic measures, doesn't it, from God? But, you know, let's consider for a moment the features of this sin. There are two things I want us to notice about Ananias and Sapphira's sin. The first one is that it was energized by Satan. It was energized by Satan. Verse 1 says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. He's also been privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? You know, Satan had already tried to defeat the church from without, hadn't he? He tried to you know, halt the work of the Lord from the outside. You know, Peter and John being arrested, being threatened, told to stop preaching the truth, preaching in the name of the Lord. As we saw, they refused this command and they continued to preach and teach. And the church itself responded to this threatening how? By turning the Lord in prayer, praying for boldness in the hour of need. And so Satan's attempt to halt the Lord's work on the outside had failed. It hadn't got anywhere. Now we see that Satan attacks from within. You know, this is the way that Satan works. We have to do that, don't we? Satan's attacks against the church do not just come from the outside. The attacks also come from within. Turn over to Acts chapter 20 with me. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseas, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. You know, Paul here warns the Ephesian elders of this very thing. He warns them of wolves and he warns them that people within them will arise speaking perverse things. He can lead disciples astray, you know, gather their own following. 
you know, create sex within the church, split the church, cause, cause problems. So, you know, Satan attacks from not only without, but also from within. And this is exactly what's taking place here in Acts chapter 5. Satan is seeking now to destroy or diminish the work of God from within. You've got to remember, <clears throat> excuse me, something wonderful is happening right now in the church, isn't it? We just read about it at the end of Acts chapter 4. It's a wonderful thing that's taking place. And everybody on the outside witnessing the church is seeing this. They're seeing this spirit. They're seeing this attitude of giving, this attitude of love towards one, this unity. They're seeing that everyone's not concerned with themselves. They're concerned with us. And now Satan tries to destroy that or tarnish that through the use of a lie. In verse 3, we read that Satan had filled Ananias' heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back of the price of the land? Now, obviously, the Lord reveals this under Peter, doesn't he? The Lord, through the Holy Ghost, speaks to Peter and tells him that Ananias is lying and that Satan has lied to him. Satan has put it in his heart. You know, we must remember that Satan is the father of all. That's what John 8, 44 tells us, isn't it? Satan is from the beginning and he is the father of all lies. He is the source of all lies. And so he knows lie to the minds and the hearts of church members. He knows how to lie to the hearts and minds of even people who are saved. Something to plant an idea, to plant a thought, even genuine Christians. And in turn, get them to follow that lie, follow that lie and follow his orders. That's exactly what happens here with Ananias. Ananias is deceived. Sapphira is deceived. And they this lie themselves. They tell this lie to others. They seek to tell this lie to, as we'll see in a minute, gain reputation for themselves, gain praise for themselves. But it starts with being tempted. Satan attacks. There is death for Ananias and Sapphira. I believe they're both saved. Christians, okay? They're, they're part of this body of church here. They're not, they're not people just trying to infiltrate. They actually are genuinely saved. But they're led astray here. We mustn't think here somehow that Satan in them or that Satan possessed them. That's not what's taking place. That word feeling there is the same idea as the spirit feeling in the sense of the spirit controlling. Okay, it's the whole idea that Satan has influenced them, Satan has led them astray here. That's the point. Okay, he hasn't them, he hasn't possessed them because he can't do that. Okay, it's just the fact that he's planted a lie within. You know, we must remember the admonition about the spiritual armor of God in, in Ephesians 6. You know, that passage is written to who? It's written to believers. It's to us that we are on the armor of God. Why? Because the devil attacks who? Us. It's not the unsaved. It's us that he's attacking. And Ananias and Sapphira here, they are attacked by the devil. And sadly, they have their guard down and they are influenced. Conceive this lie together to tell unto the church. We read in verse 8, it says, And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? They agreed this thing. This husband and wife conceived this lie together. They were dead and they conceived it together. Satan lied to them and they in turn then lied to others. And this lie in the end led to their deaths. Not only was this sin energized by Satan, but also this sin was motivated by pride. It was motivated by pride. Look in verse 
Paul with me. <clears throat> it says, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You know, Peter here makes it abundantly clear that their sin is not that they didn't give all to the church. Okay, that's not in here. Their sin is not that they kept back part of the price of the land. Their sin is that they lied about it. Their sin is that they gave the, the impression that this is all. That we're giving everything, like Barnabas. Hey, we're like Barnabas. We're giving everything we have to the Lord. That's their sin. And this sin is driven by pride. That's where the source of this sin is. You know, Peter says to them, he says, while the land was in your possession, it was yours. You sold it. The money was yours. The point is they could have decided to do as they wanted with that money. They could have given some. They could have given all. They could have given none of it to the church. It was in their possession. Peter points that out to them. He says, this is, it was your money, your land. Why then have you conceived this in your hearts? Why have you done this? Why have you sought to lie to men, sought to lie to the church? The reality is, is because of pride. That's the whole reason why they do this. The reason they come before Peter and the others and they, and they give the impression that they're giving all because they want to get accolade. They want praise from men. Pride is in their hearts. The church at this time was praising God for Barnabas. Now the church is praising God for his generosity, for his spirit. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, they're looking on and they buy this for themselves. You know, they wanted the respect that Barnabas got. They wanted to be praised by him. They wanted people to think that they were as spiritual as Barnabas. So they lie unto the church. In verse 4, we read that they conceived this thing in their heart. This is the uh, part of through verse 4. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. They conceived these plans in their heart. And what was their plan? Their plan was to deceive men, to deceive the church, to make the church think that they were spiritual, to make the church think they had the same spirit of giving that Barnabas had. You know, their mistake was that they weren't lying to men, they were lying to God. That was their mistake in all this. You know, you can fool men. You can put on a show on the outside and men have no idea. Well, at least. God sees straight through it, doesn't he? And that's the reality here. They were lying to men, not realizing that God saw straight through it. God saw everything that was in their hearts. God saw their pride. You know, the actions of Ananias and Sapphira here to the Pharisees, do they not? You know, the Pharisees, they were guilty of doing things. Why? Simply for the praise of men. Because they were full of pride. They puffed right up. They did things in front of others. They wanted people to notice them. Go to Matthew 6 with me. Just look at a few examples. Matthew 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Take heed that ye do not your arms before men, to of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound up it before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 5. 
And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou shut the door, pray, in thy, pray to thy father which is secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And then verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto them to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. You know, Christ here highlights for us the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, isn't he? They prayed standing on the street corner. Why? Because they wanted everybody to see them. When they gave their arms, they made sure to sound the trumpet. Hey, look at me. I'm giving money to the church, to, well, to the temple for the Pharisees. Verse 16 talks about how when they fasted, they made sure they put in an act. They made sure everyone knew they were fasting. You know, Christ warned us about being like these men. You see, everything the Pharisees did was done, why? For the praise of men. And Christ says to them, he says, they have their reward. They got their reward, the praise of men. They will not get any reward from God for it. Why? Because it's done with the wrong attitude. It's not done to God's glory. It's not done in, in, in giving to him. It's not done with the right attitude of service. And so it doesn't please God. It's just all outward action to receive the praise of men. You know, Christ said that they had their reward. They, they sought an, a fleeting reward, didn't they? It was an earthly reward. Something that didn't last. You know, the reward we should seek is that which is in heaven. Reward from the Lord. That's the point of the passage. Even if no one knows what we've done, God knows and God rewards us for it. That's the point, isn't it? We do things in secret. The Lord knows. We do it with the right attitude. Even if no man ever knows. You know, sadly, Ananias and Sapphira here, they were tempted by pride. Tempted by pride to seek the praise of men. They brought this gift not because they wanted to serve God. That was not their motivation. Not because they wanted to honor God. It was simply because they wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be praised. They wanted to have play like Barnabas did. You know, we must understand that pride is a sin that God hates. Pride is a sin that God judges. Go to Proverbs 8 with me. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13. <clears throat> verse 13 it says the fear of the lord is to hate pride and arrogancy the evil way and the fraud mouth do i hate the lord says that he hates pride you see pride opens the door for every other sin doesn't it you know, when we are more concerned with feeding our pride, more concerned with what others think, it leads us to do all sorts of things. We will cross all sorts of lines when we want to make ourselves look good. And that's exactly what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They were to look good, they wanted the praise of men, so they crossed that line. Their pride led to lying to the Holy Ghost. And because of their sin, Ananias and Sapphira were both struck down by Almighty God. God judged them. Verse 5 tells us that Ananias dropped dead as soon as he heard the words of Peter. Acts chapter 5, verse 5. 
says in Ananias, hearing these words fell down and gave up the ghost, and great came on all them that heard these things. As soon as sin is exposed, Ananias drops dead. God judges him. You must understand that here. This is not church discipline. Okay? This is God judging. This is God dealing with a sin. God struck him down. And he's carried forth and he's buried before his wife comes in three hours later. And she likewise is struck down for the same sin, the same lie, fueled by pride. Look in verse 6. And the young men arose him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and came forth, buried her by her husband. Now God judged both his husband and wife, both of them, for their sin. He judged them. He struck them now. Driven by pride, they had lied to Almighty God. Now, the seriousness of their sin comes to, comes to light when you and I realize that they sought to rob God of his glory. That's really what they were trying to do, isn't it? By their lie, they were seeking to rob God of his glory. They sought glory for themselves that belonged to God and God alone. And God judged them for it. Now, God had to deal with this sin. To gloss over this sin would have given the devil the ground he wanted. Now, think about it. It would have tainted the body of Christ. You know, if God had not judged these two, if Peter had not known what was in their hearts, they could have been exalted to a position of authority within the church, like Barnabas. And then you have within the authority in the church, you have Ananias and Sapphira, these two, driven by pride and deceit, leading the church or in positions of leadership within the church. And so God quickly stamps it out, doesn't he? God quickly deals with this issue before it goes any further. You see, that's what Satan wanted. Satan wanted to infiltrate. Satan wanted to get them exalted. Satan wanted deceit and pride to enter in the church. He wanted the church tarnished. But God quickly stamps it out. God deals with this sin swiftly. And the result of it all is that godly fear swept across the church. For all those who hear the story, verse 11, great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. You know, the people feared God as a result of this. You know, the people understood the holiness of God. They understood God's hatred of sin. How could you not? You've just seen these two. Pray to God, filled with pride, God strikes them down. It would strike, put fear in all of us, wouldn't it? Fear to look at our own lives, look at our own hearts, look at how we're serving God. It's exactly what the result of this was. It put fear in men. It made them realize that God takes things seriously. They understood what God required of them in the of him. And beloved, it's easy for you and I to sit and condemn Ananias and Sapphira, isn't it, for their dishonesty. It's easy for us to condemn them for hypocrisy. But you know, we can all be guilty of the exact same sin. We can be guilty of living a lie before men. We can be guilty of being hypocrites, can't we? Living one way, we serve in the church, but then our hearts are totally different. Living a different way during the week. Or we're serving simply praise of men. We're not doing it for God's glory. We need to be careful that our service for the Lord is not merely 
seeking the praise of men. But rather that we are doing it for His glory, His alone, even if no one ever notices us. Even if no one ever says, well done. That's why God sees what you're doing. Sometimes our ministries that God gives us is something no one ever sees. It's in quiet. Some of us are prayer warriors and no one ever sees what you do at home. No one ever sees the prayer, the time that you spend on your knees. Does that matter? No. God sees it, doesn't he? God is glorified. It's the same with any service that we give him. We are to do it for his glory. It doesn't matter whether anyone sees it. It doesn't matter whether anyone prays. What matters is what God says. We do it for him. But we need to make sure that we're not merely serving lip service, but that it actually is from the heart. Just turn quickly as we finish to Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew 15 and verse 8, it says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, beloved, if our service is simply with our lips, it's simply a show that lie. It's a lie, isn't it, to Almighty God? It doesn't honour Him, and we're no better than Ananias Byron. Yeah, Matthew 23, 12, makes it clear that it's the whole that God honours. Let's just turn there. Matthew 3. <clears throat> verse 12 and whosoever sorry and whosoever shall exalt him shall be abased and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted it's the humble that God on us it's the humble God lifts up may we like Barnabas serve with an attitude of humility serve from the heart seeking the praise let's close in a word of prayer Dear Lord, Father we thank you Lord for your word we thank you Lord for the example Lord of Barnabas this good example of a man who Lord gave his all in service to you with a right heart attitude, Lord. Lord, it was a service that honoured you. It was something that glorified you. Lord, in contrast to Ananias and Sapphira, who were deceived by the devil, who, Lord, conceived this lie because of pride. And, Lord, you judged them because of it. Lord, I pray you help us to examine our own lives, examine why we serve, examine the ministries that we do. And make sure, Lord, that we always do it seeking to bring glory and honour to your name, not seeking the praise of May blessings be closed in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close this morning, we're going to take our green supplementaries. That's why you've got one. We well, should have one. And you're going to turn to number 30 this morning.